Um, I love just worshiping with you guys and just being a part. And if you're new here, I'm Jack. I'm one of the pastors and honored to have you here at Element City Church, uh, kind of church in prime time. I'm glad that you're here. It's a little chilly, so hug a neighbor. And uh, I think we're going to continue to roll on in the series that we've been in called Weapons of Self-Destruction, looking at some things that have a way of kind of sideswiping us in life. We looked at anger last week and how when we don't live navigating that well and we let that kind of get the upper hand and control over us, it can kind of totally get us sideways, ruin relationships, really splinter and fracture things. And tonight, I want us to pay attention to our attention. I want to talk about how distractions keep us from living the life that Christ is calling us to live. Now, I know not everybody in here is maybe a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're curious about Jesus. Maybe you're investigating him, and I think that's awesome that you're here, and I think you should. He is worth your pursuit of investigating who he really is. For many of us, we've come to that place where we've said, Jesus, you really are uh, the Lord of lords. You're the Savior of the world. You've come to rescue, and you need to be the Lord of our life, the leader of our life. And we've kind of trusted and committed our lives to him. He saved us from our sins, rescued us to something better and something that he's still making us into. And we're super excited about that, but it's challenging at times to pursue being a follower of Jesus in our culture, Drew, there are quite a few distractions. How many of you have ever been distracted? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're distracted right now. Come on back, come on back. So microphone issues are solved. Okay, here we are. Um, and there's a lot of things that can happen, a lot of things that, un, uh, that unfold in our lives. Anyone know when the post-it note was created? Anyone know? The little yellow post-it notes. 1977. Anyone know? Anyone know? 1977. Good job. Good guess. Um, good guess with that. 1977. Here's what I know about post-it notes on my desk is sometimes I can have like a project laid out and then I notice like the post-it note of like, hey, that's the quick phone call that I need to make. And then I have another one that's like, oh, I need to write that letter to the church. And hey, oh, I need to call that person because uh, I haven't seen them in a few weeks. And oh, hey, I need to do that. And pretty soon you could, your whole desk could be covered with post-it notes and they could be really good things. But sometimes they detour us away from some of the most important things. And the, the challenge in our culture, a culture of great clutter, is to keep a focus on the most important things. Jesus talks about that. We'll kind of talk about it toward the end uh, of where we're going tonight. This idea of distractions and what we're called to be about and how we're called to pursue and be a follower of Jesus has a focus to it. And in our culture, it's easy to let that focus kind of drift. It's easy to kind of lose attention. In fact, if you, you, you know, attention costs because we say, hey, pay attention, right? Like there's a cost to attention. Um, and, and there's so many distractions in our world. My daughter, my youngest, uh, if there's ever a claw machine anywhere within a mile of where we're walking, it's like she has claw machine radar. Uh, she just knows that's her distraction. Anytime we walk into Walmart or anywhere we go, it's like, and it just veers off. She wants a dollar. We're like, no, we're not going to do that. Um, and then uh, there's just all these different distractions that you face in life. Some of them are, uh, anyone ever seen a distracted driver before? Anyone brave enough to not raise your hand, but maybe your right big toe, that you've been a distracted driver before? Maybe the whopper fell in your lap and you're like, oh, what do I do? And all that kind of stuff. And so uh, my grandmother um, was a wonderful driver. 
<laughs> when I was about 13, 14, she had this giant Oldsmobile, and she would pick me up sometimes, and we would drive down the road. And, like, you could talk to certain drivers. Here, here's a clue. If you're driving and people are talking to you, eye contact is never necessary for you, Okay. For my grandmother, eye contact mattered. And when I was in the back seat, she'd literally just turn around and look eye contact. We'd have a conversation. The saving grace is she never went over 28 miles an hour. So we just had a really long line of people behind us. But here's the truth. Distractions will detour your attention. They will. There's no way around it. Distractions will detour your attention. And I want you and I want us to kind of keep that in mind as we look back at a story Uh, that's tucked in the Old Testament, the book of Haggai. Now, how many of you have no idea that Haggai even existed? That's okay. Haggai is like, let's see here, two, yeah, two chapters, that's it. It's real small. Um, It's tucked in the Old Testament close to Matthew. So if you go to Matthew, which is one of the Gospels, go back a couple books or so, and you'll, you'll have to thumb through it, you'll find the book of Haggai. And in Haggai, I'm gonna give you some history about it. There's some some teaching that's going on from the prophet Haggai. Prophets were raised up by God to be kind of the mouthpiece of God to the people of God. And so here you have Haggai showing up in 520 BC. Now in 586 BC, what happened? Jerusalem's destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, by Babylonians, okay? That's taken captive. This is kind of where Daniel, if you ever hear the story of Daniel and and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're taken off into captivity. They're in captivity for quite a while. It's about 536 or so uh, BC when the Persian army kind of takes over. They're the new world superpower. And then a few years later, uh, the, the kind of the governor, the, the prince, the leader of the Persian army, Cyrus, kind of says, hey, he lets a remnant of people go back to Jerusalem, okay? So you hear this, this ha- all this captivity, everything's been destroyed. The great Solomon temple in 586 is completely destroyed. Just, there's not a stone left on it. It's just gone. And so, then they're in this captivity. Then about uh, 50, about 60-some years later, they're sent back. About 50,000 of them are sent back. I don't know if you've ever gone back to a disaster zone. Uh, Katrina just had its 10-year anniversary. If, you've ever, if you, anyone ever lived kind of in the Katrina area where the disasters happened with that, or if you ever went back up on Mount Lemmon after the fires there, and you kind of go, and, and what do you feel when you walk back into a disaster zone? You kind of feel overwhelmed, don't you? You kind of feel like, wow, there's a lot of work to do. And so I want you to think about, that's what these people must have been feeling. But there must have been a sense of excitement at the same time, because here Cyrus has let them go to go back and establish their land, and to establish their temple, to rebuild it, and kind of go back into the religious systems and the structures that they had, that they had for centuries. And so here's these 50,000, this remnant that's going back, and there's great excitement at first. And they get to work. And they, they build the altar, and they're, they're doing sacrifices again, and it's part of the system that, that the Jewish culture understood. And they're active in that, and then all of a sudden, everything stops. And for 16 years, nothing else happens. So that in 520 BC, Haggai, the prophet, is sent by God to give a message to the people. 
So that's the whole cultural context and the history and understanding of what's going on. Here's what happens. Haggai shows up. Let's just read verse 1. It's kind of cool. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, and to Shelith, son of Shelith, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadark, the high priest, Josadak, the high priest. I'll just let you take that in. It's exciting. Not really. Verse 2, it gets better. Okay. This is what the Lord Almighty says. So the Lord Almighty is a, is a title that Haggai uses several times throughout his book. He's ascribing to God, God, you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are the Lord over everything that's ever happened and anything that ever will happen. You're over that. You reside there. Lord Almighty says this, these people say that time has not come to rebuild the Lord's house. These people now, it's interesting, you study through the Old Testament, you understand back in Exodus, God called, these are my people, right? He said, these are my people, and he took care of them, he rescued them, he provided for them. Uh, how many of you are parents? And have you ever said, your son, your daughter, I don't know what's going on right now. And look, they're your daughter, you're, they're your son too, but in that moment, you're kind of like, you, you're frustrated, right? And in this moment, you can kind of sense God and say, these people... Okay, these are my people, but these people are driving me a little crazy because they had this passion and this deep desire, and they had this mission, and then all of a sudden they got distracted, and for 16 years they've done nothing. Here's what he says. These people say the time has not come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house, uh, my house remains in ruins? Is it time for the stuff of your world, the stuff that you've gotten your attention on, to matter and to have things provided for, and yet there's things that I've called you to in this mission that I have for you that's now been put on the back burner for 16 years. In fact, the whole reason you got out of captivity is because I changed Cyrus's heart to even let you go and to bring you back because you're my people. And you can almost sense a little bit of the frustration, can't you? You can almost sense what's going on. Now, what's interesting about this story is it's hard to blame the people that came back. I mean, think about it. Everything's been destroyed. There's 50,000 of you that came back, and you're there, and it's your task, it's your job, it's your mission to reestablish everything, to rebuild everything, and, and to think about the overwhelming nature of that. And they start with great desire, great passion, and then all of a sudden, they these distractions around them, distractions of what would be. Maybe it's the distraction of discouragement. Maybe it's just the discouragement of maybe the older folks understood and they knew they were around, maybe they were young, but they remember Solomon's temple. And they remember the grandeur and how beautiful it was. And then they start working, and they got the altar, and they realize it's just not going to measure up. It's just not going to be... It's good, and maybe it's they're discouraged. Maybe it's the young who are, are saying, you know, I, I've never been around. I've never seen it before, and you guys keep talking about these images and these uh, things that are going on and how awesome it was, and yet what I see in front of me is just rubble, and, and I, maybe they're just discouraged. Maybe it's this distraction of um, 
of different things that began to get their attention to say, hey, let's care about us. Let's take care of what we've gotten. Let's keep going and say, hey, we want to be a people that focus on what we need. Maybe it was the distraction of comfort for them. That's hard work to go back and to reestablish something, to rebuild. And it just, comfort has a way of calling to us, doesn't it? Tomorrow's Labor Day. I hope you enjoy some comfort. But I hope comfort isn't the major calling upon your life. Because we're called to something more. And yet, in our culture, the call of comfort is loud, and it's annoying, and it's always in your ear, isn't it? Oh, don't do that. Don't, don't give your money there. Don't, don't give your attention there. Don't give your time there. Don't invest your energy there. Just, just sit back and watch 700 channels of TV that you have in front of you. It'll be way better. Your couch calls to you. And comfort has a way of trying to get our attention and pull us away from maybe the things that really, really matter. Maybe it's the distraction of busyness. Uh, we live in a culture that you could be doing something 24-7, literally, couldn't you? And in our context, distraction seems to get louder and to yell a little bit more and to say, hey, pay attention to me. Hey, you're not doing this. Look, your neighbor's doing that. You're not doing that. You need to come over here and do this. How about this? Have you ever thought about this? And it's all these calls for attention, all these things that are vying for your attention and to say, hey, let's give our heart to this. And the problem is when you give your heart to this and then you add another this and another that and another this, then pretty soon your heart becomes divided, right? Your heart gets splintered because there's only so much. Can I remind you? You are a limited resource. God is not, but you are, and you're not him, nor am I. And so you only have a limited amount of attention to give. You only have a limited amount of energy and effort and passion to put behind things. You are limited in that way. Uh, the distraction of busyness is difficult for a people who are quick to say yes to everything. And it's not wrong to want to be a yes person. I want to be a yes person. It's part of the people pleaser in me. It's part of, and that's not a bad thing necessarily, but if you don't take control of that a little bit, it will take control of you. And it will get you to places where you wake up and you realize, I am stretched so thin. I give, I give 1% to everything. And nobody wins in that. Your relationship with God doesn't win with that. Your relationships with other people don't win with that. Your relationship with yourself and how you see yourself doesn't win with that. See, when we say yes to everything, you are by default saying no to potentially the best things. And that's why focus matters. That's why this idea of distractions pull our attention. They pull us away. Distractions not only detour our attention, they can end up diluting your devotion. Distractions can end up diluting your, your devotion to God himself because you get distracted by so many other things. I, I think this is seasonal. If you've lived life long enough, here's what I think you feel the rhythm. Is there's a lot of times that we get involved in a lot of different things. 
and we as a church, we ask you to get involved in things. We want you to be involved. We want you to serve because serving is a part of living out your faith. We're not meant to be just consumer Christians who just kind of take everything in. We're meant to serve and give back. That's part of how we grow spiritually. But I think even in the church sometimes, we can have people serve so much that, that, that we, we have created uh, this Christian bubble where they don't even have time to rub shoulders with non-Christians or to rub shoulders with other people who are far from God and invest in relationships with them. And yet we can also get so busy at work and say yes to so many things there that we end up saying no to some of the most important things around our house, the people that live there and dwell there with us. And I think seasonally you'll feel it, that you'll go, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really busy. And here's what you need to ask yourself in that moment. Am I emotionally making this decision or am I realistically looking at all the things I've said yes to and realize my calendar's too full, I'm a limited resource? Because sometimes we just get emotionally riled up and we end up saying no to things that we really should say yes to. And so it's, it's careful, it's a tightrope that you have to walk in that. But distractions have a way of detouring our attention in a way eventually, if we don't take care of it, of beginning to maybe even dilute our devotion of following after God. And I think that's what happened to the people of Israel in 520 BC. I think that's why Haggai shows up, why God sends him and says, you, you've been so caught up for the last 16 years of your houses and you've paneled them and you've got great wood flooring and it's awesome and it looks great. But my house over here, and it's not that God needs a house, he doesn't fit in a house, okay? Let's just be honest about it. But in the Jewish culture, in the context of what was there, the temple mattered big time. It was a symbol of God's presence, and it mattered. And it was laying destitute and desolate while people were living in their homes. And so the Spirit of the Lord sends Haggai and says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. There's a title again. This is a phrase that comes next. Give careful thought to your ways. Haggai's getting ready to say that phrase he says about 14 different times throughout the book. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planned much but you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains, and you bring down the timber, and you build my house so that I may take pleasure in it, and I will be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. And God's saying, you've gotten distracted. You've gotten detoured away from this mission that I have sent you on to be about. See, you're my people. And I have a mission for you, and I have a calling upon your life to be a light into this world, and you're not even living out. In fact, you've gotten so distracted, your devotion to me has just kind of become diluted because you're busy, or you've sought out comfort, or you've gotten sideways and distracted by so many other things. So God puts this challenge, and it's a tough challenge before the people. What's fascinating is the Spirit of the Lord comes upon the people they realize and they have a fear. When the, when the Bible says fear of God, sometimes it is afraid. Oftentimes it's this incredible awe. 
and respect. And there's something that happens in this moment as Haggai is, is presenting to the people and saying these things that the people are caught off in awe, going, God, you're right. I've gotten so distracted. And their whole heart is stirred and they actually go up and they obey what, what Haggai has just said, what God has sent him to say. That is a preacher's dream. To give one sermon, people go, yep, we got it, all right, let's go. And they just totally change. And their heart just grabs it. And they begin to run with it. And this devotion is kind of stirred up again. And God stirs the leaders. And what's fascinating about this passage, it goes on, verse 13. Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the message to the Lord, to the people. And he said, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I am with you. What I love about God, he will challenge you. But he will always relationally reassure you that he is with you. God has challenging words to say to people sometimes, doesn't he? You ever had him speak something to you, looking at the word, or maybe having someone say something, you're like, wow, that's, that's from God to me. And it's challenging. It's hard to hear, but you know what? God always comes around and says, I'm with you. I know it's challenging, but I'm relationally with you. See, you need that relational collateral. You need that in relationships you have one to another. You can challenge one another as long as the relationship is strong enough to handle that, Right? And you appreciate being challenged by people who love you, who aren't going to walk away, aren't going to abandon, aren't going to quit on you. They're walking with you. And God's announcing, I'm with you in this. We will walk through this together. What's fascinating, see, Haggai showed up on the first day uh, of the sixth month. You ever wonder why? Probably not. Preachers, we wonder why. Um, The first day of the month, in the Jewish cultural context, was always the day you brought an offering to the Lord. It's always when you brought kind of your monthly best gift to God. And so Haggai shows up to a people who have been living in distraction for 16 years on the one day that it should have made sense. And he gives this message from God and it clicks for the people and they realize, well, I've gotten so busy doing these other things, God, I've forgotten You've just kind of slipped back a few rungs, my devotion to you. So God's not calling us to build a temple. He's not calling you to do that. But here's my question to you. What distractions in life are vying for your attention? What distractions in life are beginning to detour your attention and maybe even begin to dilute your devotion? What distractions are you wrestling with in this season of life? How are you beginning to get distracted or detoured? See, I wrote this. Priorities are always determined by the intensity of our pursuit. Our top priorities equal our top pursuits. They just always will. What you prioritize in life, you will pursue. That's the way it works. So if grades are the top priority of your life, you will pursue that full out. If, if getting honor and recognition at your job is your top pursuit, you will pers- uh, top priority, you'll pursue that with all you got. The question becomes, where's God fit in this? And, and how does my relationship with God filter into how I live life? See, we're not meant to be compartmentalized Christians. We're meant, in fact, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And all this other stuff that you chase after, God knows you need it. God's going to take care of your needs. 
You seek first the kingdom of God, and God will take care of you. You seek God first and foremost. You look and run after the things that are on his heart. So what are your top pursuits in life right now? In this season of life where you're at, what are your top pursuits? If you were honest with yourself, and you could write, here's the top two or three things that I think all my pursuing and all my priorities have become. And my question, very simply, would be, is God in the mix? Is growing your relationship with him, is it honoring him, is he in the mix? So how are you doing today? The, the second thing I wrote was, you will never fully eliminate distractions. You can't do it. Our culture is too full, too cluttered, there's too much. You'll never fully eliminate them. But you must learn to continually redirect your attention back to what matters most. U of A football started uh, Thursday night. It's one of our family traditions. We've been doing it ever since my kid was born. Uh, we've been going for years since I was in junior high. And so it's kind of this tradition that we do. We go as a family. We have some friends, and, and we have a great time. What's fascinating is to watch my youngest, and, and usually it's been the youngest, that loves binoculars. They love binoculars because there's something about binoculars that you could say to them, hey, look at this stadium. They're like, whoa, it's overwhelming, right? But then you say, hey, look down here at Wilbur. They're like, oh, I can't find him. I can't find him. Where is he? There's so many people. There's thousands and thousands of people. And then you hand them a pair of binoculars, right? And you kind of aim it in the direction, and it limits the scope, right? And all of a sudden, they can focus in at Wilbur or Wilma or the fireworks that are going off, whatever it may be. And for Callie, that's the most fun she has at the game. She loves looking through binoculars. It's kind of weird at times, because you're like, honey, you're missing the whole game. And like, there's like thousands of people around us, and so she loves looking through binoculars. And I think here's my challenge and invitation to us tonight, real simple. I think there's times in life, seasons of our lives, where we need to pull out the spiritual binoculars in a way. We understand ADD, but I think sometimes we can have spiritual ADD. And we can get so distracted doing so many different things that sometimes it's good for us to pull out the binoculars and say, okay, what are my top priorities? What are my top pursuits in life? And God, are you even in the mix of that? Have I gotten distracted and my devotion diluted that you're kind of fourth or fifth in the rung and I'm really aiming after these top three? And the reality is when we can see that and recognize it, then we can readjust it. And then we can go back to living in that season and there may be come around another time where we need to pull the binoculars out again and say, okay, ooh, I got so much going on. God, I want to make sure that I'm living up to what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God. If you can remember any phrase, it would be this. Seek God first and foremost. That's what Jesus is calling his disciples. Then in his disciples today, seek God first and foremost. How do you do that in your life? I'm going to tell you, it's going to be different for each one of you. I think that's the beauty of God having a relationship with you, and that's going to look different for each one of us. It's not a cookie-cutter thing. It's not, okay, hey, read your Bible 30 minutes a day, and then you're going to pray 12 and a half minutes a day, and then you're going to journal for two and a half minutes, and then you're going to... Some people, you, you hate journals. Like, you would burn them for firewood. That's okay. Don't journal. Don't do it, okay? You're okay. Jesus loves you just as much. 
as the person who does journal. So find a way that you can continue to honor God, to say, God, I want to seek you first and foremost. Find your way in doing that. Some of the stuff that we're trying to, to kind of put in place around here, we're working on is creating kind of a list of books that we'd say, hey, if you're a reader, these are ones we'd love to have you help in your spiritual journey. For some of you, you've heard us talk about version, and it's a, a free Bible app. That we do all the sermon notes on there every single Sunday, and there's thousands of reading plans. For some of you, you come here and you hear the Bible, but then you don't open it up all week long. And I'm not giving you a time re- kind of constraint. I'm just saying, do it. Figure it out for yourself. is a great tool that you can use to say, here's how I can do it this week. Here's how I can make progress in that. Here's how I can begin to get my attention back in God's direction and not just kind of at the whim and the will of everything else that's swirling around me. In our world, we will always face distractions. Jesus not only said, seek first the kingdom of God. But then he's asked one day, what matters most? And in Matthew 22, he kind of boils it all down. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So my question to you is, if you ever sense your heart going where you don't have a passionate love for God, and the passionate love you have for people is waning, then you, my friend, are distracted. That's how you know. If the the love factor for God and for people is waning, then it means your attention has been distracted away from what Jesus said matters most. And when you live with your attention on that, then he can begin to do amazing things in your heart. Kind of what Lyle said too in Ephesians, it talks about that God's given us this predestined opportunities and assignments that he's given us to do. See, the church isn't about just gathering. That's awesome, we want to do that, we want to worship God, but we are a church that's sent. We are sent to go live our Mondays and Tuesdays and even the Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays out in the world to be a light. That's what the people in Haggai's day, I think, forgot. So I'll just close with that. That's a story from a really long time ago. But I think it's a story that's really prevalent and relevant for our day. Distractions will detour your attention. There's no way around that. And there may come some moments where you need to kind of redirect your attention before it begins to dilute your devotion to God. So figure that out. What are your top priorities? Because they will be your top pursuits. Sometimes you're going to need to redirect. And if you ever feel like loving God and loving people is kind of becoming really low in, in the, the energy level of what you, and you're becoming way, way frustrated, then my, my hunch is you might be distracted away from what Jesus says matters most. So I want to pray for our attention as a church and as individuals, and we're going to worship. Uh, we're going to remember in communion Jesus' sacrifice for us. This is what got me this week. Aren't you glad? that Jesus was never distracted away from his mission. (laughs) Aren't you glad that he didn't allow devotion to become diluted? He didn't get distracted. In fact, he kept saying, he said to his early followers one day, I must go to Jerusalem. It it wasn't something like, I kind of, and he knew what was waiting for him. But he said, "I, I have to go. His mission in life drove him, and it directed his attention to what mattered most. 
So, Father, I pray that for us, that we would be a a people of Jesus, where the mission uh, corporately that you tell us as a church to love you and to love people well, uh, the missions that you give each one of us as as kind of these sent um, agents on your behalf to reconcile the world to you. God, to to seek you first and foremost in life, the missions that you give to each one of us, that's going to be different. Would you allow our hearts to be gripped by those in such a way that when distractions do come, and they will, that we're able to look past them, we're able to stay focused on what really does matter most. So Father, as we take communion here in these moments, and as we sing this song, I Surrender, God, just once again, just announcing maybe in a, in a corporate way, in an individual way, just putting our hearts before you and say, God, we want what you want most. God, we want our attention to be focused on you and others and on the mission you have for us, the absolute most. If we could do these other things and you're gonna bless us, you know we need them and it's not that we shouldn't pay attention to them, but Father, the biggest portion of our attention, our energies, need to be directed in a way that your spirit leads and that Jesus directed us to have it. So we thank you again for his life, his sacrifice on our behalf, his resurrection that secures your approval, that we get to have life with you, simply because you made a way. We're grateful for that. So we take this bread, take this, this cup, and we remember that. As we sing this song, we worship you with our heart. Father, for each one of us here, There might be some distractions that are creeping up in our life. Would you, Holy Spirit, direct us to what those are, that we'd be able to see it for what it is and redirect it back to you. We pray that in your precious name.